and welcome to this latest episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Lucy Chamberlain. And me, Saul Walker. Now that autumn is making itself known to us, it seems a natural time to reflect on times past and look forward to new ventures ahead. So, with that in mind, we'd like to give a nod to these recent few months by simultaneously embracing what lies in front of us, both practically and at our respective gardens, and by assessing how this exciting industry that we've decided to devote our professional lives to is evolving and thriving. So many of us are showing this sector's true grit by quietly propagating new stock, dreaming up fresh initiatives, looking to new ways of working and generally supporting the trade. And our aim via this podcast is to muse on developments and showcase these horticultural heroes. We'll bring you two short 20-minute episodes each week, plus a longer bonus monthly interview. What more of a reason do you need to join us on this journey? Let's once again step into the busy and exciting world of the modern head gardener. Hello, Saul. It's very nice to see you. Um, the weather's been a bit up and down and left and right and all over the shop in the last um, few weeks. And, uh, you know, don't, it, it's yeah, autumn. It's exactly. autumn. That's what to be yeah, expected. It's, it's, it's the season of layers. I don't know about you, but my, my thermals have come out and my heating's come on and then it's turned off again. My 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 apprentice was wearing uh, thermals today, but I think she made the mistake of thinking we were in a colder part <laughs> of the country because it, it was quite warm first. She had, she had to keep taking layers on oh, and off all the time. It's that, so. it's, honestly. But she's, she's, only just, she's only just started. So I think it's one thing you have to learn as a gardener is what your thermal tolerances yeah, are. Yeah, you do. There, there's... Um, uh, Jade, the apprentice at uh, the, the hall, has, has um, uh, thankfully now got some good waterproofs. I know when she started last year, she she was devoid of waterproofs and wellies and all sorts of stuff and coats, and we had wet days, and the poor girl got got soaked now and then. But she's she's listened to me and my advice, and thankfully she's now got her rab trousers and her her thermal leggings and her her, her multiple layers, and uh, and so we can. We can crack on with jobs regardless of what the weather's throwing at us, which is all very nice. Do you know, for a dry part of the country, you don't half wear a lot of layers. <laughs> I tend to go out with a hat and a shirt and maybe my overcoat. And that's about it. I think we just get excited about rain here in Essex because it doesn't happen very often. So I know that uh, in other parts of the East Anglia, they, they, you know, especially on the coastline, they get an awful lot more than we, than we do. It tends to peter out before it gets to us. So... There you go. It's just exciting, so. Well, uh, so so, yeah. so <laughs> someone coming from the West Country, have you? Have, has the moment passed now? Do you not ever get excited about rain anymore? Is I've it seen, novelty's worn I've off? Seen my fair share of rain, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair point. Fair point. So, um, we were going to talk tonight because it is autumn, and it is the season of abundance and harvesting. Plentifulness. And, is that a word? Yes. I think it is. I think it. I think you, you could you could claim it as yeah. your own if it wasn't. It's a good one, um, but it's it's just a time when we're getting all our crops in safely, and it's become apparent to me that it's it's really important to explain to people that certain crops need to be harvested at their peak because um, for the untrained eye. Um, harvesting is a fairly simple task. You just gather stuff mm. and you get it in and, um, and you eat it and that's it, job done. But we wanted to talk tonight about the intricacies of harvesting and allowing things to ripen to perfection because I think that when you get to our level of horticulture and you've been in the game a couple of decades, you, you, you do understand that the, there's, a, there's a massive chasm between picking something 
when it's not quite right. And the, the deliciousness and uh, wonderful feeling you get when you actually pick something and it's at, you know it's at its prime. Mm. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit tonight. So we hope you've all got full larders and pantries and freezers and, and fruit stores and you'll be, um, enjoy this journey that we're going to be talking about this evening. Um, so, so what have you been harvesting at Stone and Saw? It's yeah, it's a bit strange because we're because we're a bit milder down here. Uh, I think our season extends. So actually, I find it a lot harder to under to know when to harvest certain things. So obviously, tomatoes hmm. and our greenhouse crops, some of them are still growing. I know we the, the one crop every year that I struggle with is peppers, and when to really. Um, we're talking sweet peppers here, capiscums, yeah. uh, rather than chilli peppers. And I always find it quite hard because they stay green for so long. And I know that you can eat them when they're green. I think a lot of people uh, misunderstand exactly when you can eat sweet peppers. You know, lots of people think you have to wait for them to turn whatever colour they're going to before you can eat them. But So you can eat them green. But trying to work out when the ideal time to pick them it's quite difficult. It's the same with aubergines as well. I really find it really hard to know when an aubergine is at its full size and is at its peak of perfection because they they start growing and they're purple from the minute they start growing. So they look right yeah. when they're small, and then and there are so many different varieties because the uh, the early long purple ones can be quite long and thin. And you think, is it going to fatten out? And then there are the small, like, I'm growing jackpot for this year for the first time. And I look at them and I think, are they going to get bigger or should I harvest them now? And I'm looking at them and I think sometimes I'm looking at them, they're actually growing in front of me. And I'm thinking, right, let's just wait for another week. So I find them a difficult fruit to understand. I think a lot of people, a lot of people do. I think, I think with um, the the sweet peppers and the aubergines, the often what happens is that they then go over mature and and you can see that they have this dull mm. skin color to them they're not shiny anymore and they start to wither and then you're like I missed it oh yeah well i should have picked that then shouldn't i you've missed that window and i think i do think that there's a lot of um learning you know as i say we, we you and i we've got decades of experience under our belt but within that time we've probably had loads of aubergines and peppers and tomatoes go over ripe that we just watched do that because we hadn't understood and now with 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 that 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 passing of time and knowledge, you think, right, okay, you, 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 and I've been explaining this to Jade an awful lot at the hall because, as I say, this is the first real summer for her to watch things come to fruition, and 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 I've been explaining to her about, as I say, the right time to pick, and you get mm. your eye in. This is there's this. It's a very um, it's like a craft. It's like a skill, and you do you do get your eye in, and you learn. The um, even like you say, down to the actual variety differences themselves. You've got some aubergines and and sweet peppers that, like you say, yeah. will only grow a certain shape. Um, and and you're waiting for something else to happen, and it and it just doesn't with those varieties, and that's that. And and so very often the way to tell is actually to see them go overripe and and learn from that way, because the only way you can tell when they're ripe is when they're big mm. enough and they're still shiny. And how do you know, how do you know that in the first instance? You know, you, it's very difficult, isn't it? Also, I tend to take I do tend to take early fruits and just see if they are edible. I, I wouldn't yeah. suggest doing it with everything because some things can be quite bitter <laughs> and really horrible. But I guess mm. that's just from the point of view of understanding the varieties better. Uh, it's a yeah. bit more of a, a, an experiment. Uh, if they mm. taste horrible, I don't eat them. But 
especially yeah sweet peppers and aubergines are quite difficult the other one i find difficult is melons now we had a lovely mm. melon a couple of weeks back when i came down to you and we thought that had gone over but actually it looked like it yeah it, yeah it was perfectly edible it was actually quite delicious so i find melons quite hard to understand when they are perfectly ripe um Got any advice on that one? Well, definitely the perfume. There's, uh, because there, you can get things like, um, you can look at the, for the cracks around the stalk and figs do that too. They develop yeah. um, with melons. It's, it's concentric rings around the top of the stalk. Um, I'm always a bit dubious about pressing the base of a melon to see if it's soft because if you keep pressing it, enough you'll actually make it soft yourself and so that can be a bit misleading but but definitely with melons the the smell is unmistakable when they're ripe you will get a perfume and it's a strong perfume and you get a skin color change but like like we said that melon that we had um when you came to mind that looked to me like it had gone almost too the skin had gone too far Mm. and i was worried it was going to be musty but actually when we cut it open and tried it we did have it with some figs that night as well didn't we really lovely late Mm, season stuff delicious it was absolutely fine so yeah, so with melons, I would. I'm definitely going to. The the scent is is the most key indicator, and it's like um, figs. You know, they're they're a lovely late season crop. We had a lot at the hall in September, um, and you know they they change because the the stalk softens. So if they're sort of sticking upright in the air, the stalk softens and then they start to bend downwards, um, and they often, uh, as I say, get these sort of vertical cracks on the skin as the skin really softens the window okay. of picking a ripe fig is is literally maybe a, a to get it perfect is like maybe there's a day or two when you can actually go in right, there yeah it's really narrow this is what i've I, you know i I'm, i've been explaining to people this you 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 do need to keep an eye on these things and if you want them at what we call perfection and I'm, for the hall i do try and always present the food at perfection because that's what they're that's what they're they're employing me for with you know looking after this kitchen garden um i can feel also by the weight of a fig if the fig has got a nice weight to it i know that the moisture level has really rocketed up the tissues are softening it's 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 got a slight um give when you when you do give it a gentle squeeze in your hand um and I can still pick a fig that looks almost exactly the same and yet it doesn't have that weight to it. It's still quite light. Mm. And what I'd say is the the tissues are quite foamy. Um, It doesn't Mm. have that lovely juiciness to it. And so you often, like I say, you're actually picking the stuff and as you pick it, you think, "Mm, that's not the one I'm going to take into the house just yet. I might leave that in the greenhouse just for another day or so. So it really kind of ripens up. So yeah, it's all these it's subtleties. It's interesting the 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 difference between different veg because you're saying with figs and melons, you know, there's a very small window. It's the same with pears as well. Picking pears oh, at yeah. just the right time yeah. before they're ripe, even, and then mm. leaving them to store and storing them correctly, making sure they're mm. separated. There's lots of air movement, and then you must make sure you're checking your pears every day because there will be this point where they'll soften. And they're perfect. Leave it a week, they'll all have gone, uh, they'll all have rotted off. So it's a really, yeah. and then there's different pairs as well. So you, you're yeah. sort of your classic Concord type, they will, you know, only last a week. But then um, Doeng to Comis, I find that's a pair which you can actually have a bit more leeway with. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it'll last two or three weeks. So again, there's an interesting difference between the varieties. Yeah. And then on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, there are, uh, we were talking about melons. So another 
member of the Cucurbit family are you all your squashes and your pumpkins oh my goodness that's a massive big group isn't it and as we know from your your from your shark fin uh wonder in your greenhouse <laughs> it's still there they can they can store for almost a year yeah. so yeah uh, uh, at the moment i'm growing ichikuri i've got honey bear i've got um uh, a jack-o'-lantern yeah. type uh pumpkin those will all be coming into the greenhouse to harden off the skin to ripen off uh, and then those will last, uh, you know, for the winter, hopefully, oh, uh, hopefully into the spring. Yeah. Or, you know, like your your sharks thing could last all, all summer. So it's a it's a weird blend because I, th- I think one of the things about the Grow Your Own movement is everyone tends to focus on the growing, the sowing. When it comes to the actual bit at the end, mm. the harvesting and the storage, I think there's less understanding or there's less focus. Do you know, that, that's a really good point. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there is so much n- more to know about uh and it's not just it's not just your your how you cook with it and your pickling and and you know all that kind of thing, but it's actually the like you say the storing produce. Uh, mm. It's the same with potatoes or it's the same with other root veg which you might traditionally use a clamp which is um for those who don't know is a clamp is basically a, a a sand pit as such which you can put vegetables especially carrots and beetroot is a classic you can layer them in with wet sand and that will keep them going all the way through the winter and you just take them when you need them yeah and i i think that knowledge and you don't see it much on the media you don't see it much on the in the magazines as well i think there's a lot more that could be done on that yeah yeah well like i say we've got um in our store at the moment at the hall we've got uh, beetroot uh, we've got main crop carrots we'll soon have celeriac in there as well or like you say packed into we have wine crates and we we line the sides with plastic and we get some some clean damp sand and then we put the uh, items in there in layers so they're not touching so if one does go rotten and spoil because you can't see it when they're in the sand once they're buried and you don't want to keep fertling around to, to see what's going on if they do spoil, then it's not going to contaminate the ones next door to them. That's the idea behind it. And um, yeah, I, I, I love doing that. And the, the, um, I know, know I was asked uh, by the hall if there was any beetroot in April of this year. And the beetroot that I'd put in there in October was still in absolutely perfect condition. It's, it kept for, hadn't withered, hadn't done it, and nothing had happened to it at all. So storing things in sand is a very good preservative method. I know that some people... Um, they will lift their new potatoes and then uh, bury them in a tin. And then the tin is, um, like I say, buried in the earth and they can then dig them up again for Christmas Day and the new potatoes are perfectly well preserved because they've been in the, the moist and the cool zone, you know, maybe a couple of um, feet down in the, in the in the soil and they've just, it's just suspended them. They, they haven't changed. And that's a, there's a varietal thing I've noticed on that as well because some things like Charlotte and Pentland Javelin, which I've done in the past, I literally can leave over winter mm. and they'll be fine in the soil. Yeah. But I'm finding the one I'm growing this year, Pink Fur Apple, I'm having to lift to store because they aren't storing so well in, in the soil. That's something that I don't think people get ra- their brains around when it comes to choosing variety. Lots of people choose variety based on what they want to do with it or the, or the flavour. But actually, choosing ones that will last in the ground a lot longer means that you can grow a bigger crop mm. and have a longer harvesting period, yeah. which is another thing I don't think people understand is that different varieties can g- give you different harvesting periods. Oh, well, you mentioned the pears. You know, I've been just going back into to talk about the pears and how they go over and spoil so quickly. We've got, at the hall, we've got one called um, Gansel's pear, which is actually, actually bred 
by somebody who lived on the estate um, back in the 1800s. So it's not one that's in circulation, but we, I know it very well because I have to work with it every year. That is over in a flash. It's, um, I've, I've picked it and it's already, I've put it in the store. I could see the skin turning to yellow and it had gone within a week. They'd all ripened at once. And I know that is how early pears work. But as you say, then you've got the the late season pears that are hard as a rock when you pick them in late October because you've got to get them off the tree before the frosts get to them because they won't store if they're frosted. But they're not ready to eat them. And then you get them in the store and the something happens in the passage of time. The flavour's just mellow and the flesh softens and you can see them gradually, gradually turning. And if you want to speed it up, as you say, to kind of like extend the season, then you maybe bring a few into the house, into a warm room, and they will ripen up more quickly than those in the store. So you can play around with these, like I say, the pears, apples, quinces, they all have these attributes to them. If you want early season apples, like Discovery, they're over in the flash, but they're such a lovely apple, so tasty that we, we, we grow those at the hall. They're delicious. We've also got We've got loads of Cox's Orange Pippins this year. Been a fantastic year for the Cox for some reason. Um, I think I, I did tweak the pruning regime, but I don't know if it was just that. I think we also didn't have much of a frost this year. And the, most tree fruits set a really, a really heavy crop. Um, and I was standing in the greenhouse with Jade saying to her, you must eat these to try to understand when they're, when they're ripe. Because this, the, the changes in the fruits are so subtle um, that... Sometimes you can't just tell with a quick, quick glance. You've got to get your eye in. Like I say, you know, you really have got to get your eye in and see, you know, the 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 the, the russeting will be there. You've got the streaks of red. The background color of the fruit is is green, and then it gradually goes through to yellow, then into orange. Sometimes by the time it's gone to orange with the coxes, it's gone all pappy and powdery. That's too far. Mm. And then when you've got the mm. yellow, that is for us at the moment. That is our window when we know that fruit is good. And we can take it into the hall kitchen. But we've only established that. And I was teaching her to do it by eating. You know, take a bite out of this one. Take a bite out of that one. Yeah. Look at them in comparison and see. If I, this, this, I, I can say, to me, I get quite excited about making sure I harvest stuff at perfection. Um, talking about courgettes, you know, we, we're sort of saying about how things can be stored for a long time, such as, as you mentioned, the, you know, the winter squashes. Um, for yeah. me, a cheeky curry and crown prince are ones that store for months and months and months. Conversely, you flip it back to crops such as, say, courgettes um, and sweet corn. Now, they're, uh, for me, their point of perfection is so, so fleeting. With courgettes, I harvest mine when they're tiny, absolutely tiny in comparison to what I see other people harvesting theirs at. And they're literally like the size of a cigar or maybe slightly larger than that. But, but they're and the flavour of them, if you get them picked and eaten within that day, the flavour, so sweet. And if you know that you've stored them in the fridge maybe for three or four days, the flavour's gone, you know. And again, it's the same with, right. same with sweet corn. I know there's some varieties now of corn that hold their flavour better. They don't degrade so quickly. But predominantly, most sweet corn, the sugar levels are mm. absolutely rocketing when it's perfect. And then they nosedive as soon as they're picked and then they're put in the fridge. That dulls the flavour. All gone. It's a bit like asparagus, isn't it? I always compare asparagus and sweet corn very similarly in that you should be boiling or getting yeah. the oven ready or whatever you're going to do with them yeah. before you actually go and pick them yeah. because you, you're absolutely right with sweet corn. The, the the sugar levels just dive. Even within a day, I, I find, mm. you've got to get them and eat them straight off the plant. Yeah. Uh, so that's one of those plants that you you really just harvest at cooking. Yeah. 
it's amazing when actually this chat because it's not one I think comes up very often. Like I've said, it doesn't really. Mm. It's not something that's elaborated so much. It's made me think how diverse the whole vegetable garden is in terms of that harvesting and storing because there's so many different things so we should probably be planning our vegetable gardens not so much around sowing times I know a lot of people focus especially in the winter on the catalogs it's you know it's the we all love to buy new seeds we all like to organize the start of our year get the seeds out and stuff and I think the harvesting gets a little bit you know you know it happens when it happens but maybe we should actually because i've got a we're going to go back to a spreadsheet here we know (laughs) spreadsheets rule we know Uh, that on the 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 jury's still out it's all on that you can't you can't make a sweeping statement like that without you know (laughs) well my spreadsheets are amazing because i've got the sewing (laughs) times and everything but i need to i need to focus maybe on actually putting in harvesting information And making sure I understand more about what to do in the latter part of the year and not focus so much on the start of the year and getting that right. I, I think there's a, there's um, there's legs in that. I think there's some credence yeah. in getting that right. There's no point growing all this delicious fruit, veg and herbs if you're not going to harvest it at the right time of its best. We've reached the end of today's episode and we sincerely hope that you found it informative and entertaining. If you'd like to leave us a review via your podcast provider, we'd be delighted to know your thoughts. While many aspects of the garden year are behind us, there are still plenty of horticultural milestones to mark. So Saul and myself are eager to bring you yet more valuable episodes of the Talking Heads podcast. We're also keen to visit those iconic gardens, large and small, of our peers and friends. With this in mind, you can look forward to an autumn packed full of interviews, road trips, practical advice, and of course, mine and Lucy's opinions on all manner of wide-ranging horticultural topics. We want to ensure that our listeners are kept up to date with what any self-respecting head gardener needs to know. So, until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! goodbye!